Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Welcome back. I'm writing this in the middle of April in Michigan, so naturally it is snowing. I hope wherever you are and whenever you are that you are well, or at least that this brings some joy as you listen. We are up to book eight of the Iliad. When we last left our heroes, it was night. Book eight begins the following morning, but up on Olympus, not on Earth. Zeus is upset because even though he is king of the gods, his siblings and children are refusing to obey him. He assembles the rest of the gods and proceeds to lecture them on their behavior. He starts by telling them not to interrupt he starts by telling them not to interrupt him because otherwise they'll be there all day. Then he tells them that he will beat anyone who tries to interfere in the fighting on either side, because he may not be omnipotent, but he is still the strongest. Athena, however, finds a loophole. She tells Zeus that they will agree to keep out of the fighting, but they might still go down and, you know, talk to the people and convince them not to do anything too stupid. Zeus doesn't tell her that she's wrong, and he flies off to Mount Ida so he can watch the war by himself. Meanwhile, back on Earth, the Greeks and the Trojans have suited up and headed onto the battlefield once again. Zeus enjoys the show through the morning, but once noon rolls around, he weighs out the fates of the two sides and determines that the Greeks will be the day's losers. He unleashes his thunderbolt over the Greeks, which completely freaks them out, and the Greek line breaks as they begin to to retreat. In the ensuing chaos, Paris manages to kill Nestor's horse. Hector takes this opportunity to make a beeline for Nestor, but Diomedes swoops in and rescues the old Greek leader. Diomedes then kills Hector's chariot driver and is about to get into it with Hector when Zeus again steps in with his lightning bolts. Nestor beseeches Diomedes to pay attention to this clear sign of the gods' wrath, and they turn back to the Greek fortifications. Hector, of course, follows. Back on Olympus, the rest of the gods have been watching the action, and Hera is livid. She lashes out at Poseidon. Sure, it isn't exactly fair since she's really mad at Zeus, but Zeus isn't there, and Poseidon is. Poseidon reminds her that Zeus is stronger than all of the gods combined, so he, Poseidon, isn't exactly itching for a fight with his brother. Hera begrudgingly agrees, but she remembers that Zeus didn't object to Athena's suggestion that they could still use their words. Hera sets Agamemnon's heart that sets in Agamemnon's heart that he stir up the troops. He does so and throws in a good prayer to Zeus while he's at it. Zeus is touched by this latter gesture and sends his eagle as a sign that he's now on the side of the Greeks. And fight they do. Diomedes kills one, and then there's an extended section following the exploits of Teucros, one of the Greek archers. He takes shelter under big Ajax's shield and kills eight Trojans, and then another, and another, so ten. He's been aiming for Hector, but has only managed to hit everyone around this primary target. The last man killed is another of Hector's chariot drivers, and if your sense of humor is anything like mine, you can picture the scene as performed by, say, Monty Python. As Tucros draws another arrow from his quiver, Hector hurls a rock and hits the archer in the shoulder. Big Ajax continues to protect Tucros until two of the other Greeks are able to carry the fallen archer back to the Greek encampment. And Zeus must have decided that the battle was getting boring, because now he changes sides again and lends his support to the Trojans. Under Hector's lead, the Trojans push the battlefield all the way back to the Greek fortifications. 
back on Olympus, Hera notices. This time, she calls out Athena. But unlike the previous conversation with Poseidon, Athena does not try to talk Hera down. She reminds Hera that it's all Zeus's fault. I mean, he seems to have forgotten all those times she rescued Heracles. No, now he only cares about Thetis and Achilles. Athena's getting sick of it. She thinks they should do something about it. Hera agrees and goes off to get her chariot. Athena then puts on her armor and gets her chariot too. Zeus doesn't miss this and sends Iris to tell them to stop. Here we get another example of orality. Zeus tells Iris what to say and then she repeats it. Hera feels the threat in Zeus's message and tells Athena that maybe they shouldn't join the battle right now. They return to their seats on Olympus and they pout. Zeus comes back from Mount Ida and has the audacity to ask them why they are so upset. Zeus could probably benefit from reading How to Win Friends and Influence People. Athena sulks, but says nothing. Hera, however, doesn't. She repeats what Athena had suggested at the beginning of this book. She agrees that they will not rejoin the fighting, but she also says that they will provide counsel to the Greeks so that the death toll might be at least lowered. Zeus twists his knife by telling her that Hector won't stop until Achilles rejoins the battle, so many more Greeks will die until that happens. Night falls, and as we have seen in the previous books, it's hard to keep fighting in the dark. To get a jump start on the fighting tomorrow, Hector directs his troops to build a camp on the battlefield. They do so and make sacrifices to the gods, but the gods are not swayed. They hate Troy too much. Not, what, not, not that the Trojans know that their sacrifice is not accepted. The book ends with the Trojans setting watchfires to keep an eye on the Greeks until morning comes. All right, what on earth did we just read? Or maybe I should ask, what on Olympus did we just read? Obviously, the primary theme running through this book of the Iliad is the role of the gods in human life, or, you know, death. We've seen the gods here and there throughout the previous books of this epic, but this book spends a lot of time on how they are directing, or not directing, the action of the war. And we also see a lot about fate. A key example of how even the gods are bound by fate is when Zeus says that Hector will fight until Achilles returns to the battle. Athena and Hera could rejoin the fight, but they won't be able to stop Hector without Achilles. Hmm. Is this foreshadowing something? What this book does set is set up for us what is going to happen in the next book. We have left the gods unable to change fate. We have left Athena and Hera with a desire to help the Greeks, but restricted in what Zeus will allow them to do. On this power struggle of the gods, this is something that may feel odd to those of us raised in a monotheistic religion. If there is only one god, that being must be omnipotent. But if there are many gods, then it makes sense that none of them are. So Zeus may be more powerful than everyone else put together, but he is not all-powerful. Some of the power must lie with the other gods, otherwise, why would they be gods? So what do you think? Are you enjoying the Iliad? Is it what you were expecting? Please come and share your thoughts on the blog. As always, the link is in the show notes. On Friday, we'll finish the Theogony, and on Monday, we will review Aristophanes' Lysistrata. Talk to you then.
You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.